Hi there, and welcome to Open Minds, the show that is dedicated to reducing the stigma around mental illness. I'm Candy McNeil. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Alina Kislenko, who, if you uh, were listening to this station a few minutes ago, you just heard in her program, Strange Brains, comes on right before mine, so we'll talk about that. Alina is an ADHD, Asperger's, couples, and sex therapist, uh, also a coach, so she does both of those. She runs some groups, and she has a really fabulous radio program called Strange Brains uh, that you should listen to if you're interested in the topics of ADHD and Asperger's. Um, Alina, welcome. Thank you for being willing to join me today. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what got you started doing the program Strange Brains. Well, I I guess I started because I I really wanted there to be more of a platform in Guelph uh, to talk about ADHD and Asperger's related issues. And back when I was in university, or I guess doing my undergrad, uh, there weren't really any resources in Guelph to help me understand my diagnosis and everything like that. So I really wanted to create more of a public platform where we could bring in kind of people from all over Canada or America or the world who are experts in the field and kind of get to hear from them and so kind of... um, just get that information out instead of locked away in books where a lot of people can't with ADD can't read books that well. Uh, So it just seemed like a good idea. So in addition to being a therapist and a coach, you struggle yourself with these diagnoses. Yes, and I'd, 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 I'd just put a mild pin in the word struggle, exactly. <laughs> and I see you nodding, because yes, uh, for me, so I have ADHD as well as uh, mild Asperger's that I've been diagnosed with, and um, I've actually found them to be like, the, the most helpful things in my life now that I understand them really well, and I'm so glad that I'm such a big weirdo, because it's let me do so many great things, and, and I, I can't imagine all the things I'd lose if I you know didn't have the, the magic that came with, with you know, uniquely from both diagnoses. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm glad that you caught that. Um, And actually, part of uh, what this show is about is really doing away with that idea that if you have a mental illness, that necessarily means struggle or pain or failure or being held back in some way. And that, in fact, someone could um, have a diagnosis right across the board, the things that you do or uh, things like depression, bipolar, an eating disorder, um, and they can still have a really amazing quality of life. And as you say, even see those things as gifts. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping maybe that's something we could talk about today. I'd love to. But back me up for a second. When did you find out that you had uh, ADHD and Asperger's? Did you find them out at the same time or one first? Totally different. It was actually about six, five or six years ago now. Um, it was in my last year of my undergraduate degree and uh, I, I'd finally started realizing, okay, I'm learning kind of strangely. I'm, you know, coming up with so many excuses why I'm, you know, giving assignments in late or, you know, uh, bombing on exams or doing something weird. And I really wanted to figure out what was going on. So then it took me another good six months or so to finally get the paperwork together and forget the paperwork somewhere and get more paperwork. And then um, so I finally kind of got it through and, and, and managed to get one whole semester <laughs> as a university student uh, back then um, with ADHD, which was so cool because then I got like um, uh, access to the LiveScribe smart pen and got access to certain printing materials, audiobooks and things that really shot my grades up like crazy. Um, so I know in my last semester, I, I probably averaged something like 85 or 90% average versus like, I don't know more, like 75 or 80. Um, so that was huge. And then uh, only about three or so months ago, I was diagnosed with mild Asperger's syndrome, which was fascinating to me because I've, I've been working with both clients with ADHD and Asperger's for a long time. And I first started out just with people with, Asper- uh, sorry, people with ADHD. And then was like, wait, I 
a lot of people with Asperger's also were coming in with also with ADHD as well. And I found I related to them so well, too. And everything that the ADD didn't explain, the Asperger's explained about the eccentricities that I had. Um, and so I finally went in and, and uh, got a diagnosis. And it was really great, actually. Just mm-hmm. since then, I can now with the clients with Asperger's, I can now more relate and, and share experiences knowing that they're not under the ADHD frame, uh, that they're more related to, to their issues directly. Before you got that understanding of ADD, that last year of undergrad, when you look back on the years before that, either as a university student or even in high school or as a kid, what did you think was going on? How did you understand your different experiences? Well, I guess I just thought I was really lazy and that I wasn't, you know, everyone kept telling me, oh, you're so smart. You can do so many things. And then I was like, I guess you're right, but I'm not doing those things. So maybe, A, I'm either not actually smart and that's some sort of uh, like joke I'm playing on everyone somehow or be that I'm just not trying hard enough and so it was so frustrating because you know I'd work on things day in day out I'd work twice as long as other students or I'd work twice as long at tasks or five times as long and you know create half the results and it was just so frustrating uh, until I finally learned how to more like work smarter instead of harder so like figuring out okay how do I work with the brain how do I work with my special interests that made it so much better but until then just so much shame and guilt for sure. Yeah. My worry um, with stigma generally is that apart from what people hear from from others is that they'll internalize it. And so um, when I hear you say that, you know, I thought I was lazy. Were you getting that message from outside or do you think that was just your own interpretation of why your work wasn't yielding the same results as other people? Well, I guess I I definitely got a lot of messages from the outside, you know, employers or parents or teachers kind of being like, oh, you know, you could do so much better if you tried. And and so eventually that did create a lot of perfectionism where I didn't even want to do things because I was like, oh, it's not going to be as good as I want it to be. Uh, It's not going to be like I won't have enough time to finish it. Usually I'd only... Like it's hard to explain, but when you have ADD, you usually leave everything to the last minute to do. And a big reason for that is because that's when your uh, hormones are in the right way. So when you're really, really stressed, you tend to get a really huge boost of cortisol and a huge boost, boost, uh, boost of adrenaline. And then you can actually focus really well because those bring up dopamine, which and dopamine helps you focus and, and concentrate and remember. So before I'd been leaving everything to the last minute and working, having so many all-nighters, and then it, it just took took some time to start realizing how to work a lot smarter with that, how to work throughout the month instead of the, the, the day before the assignment. Those are some of the most important things that helped empower me and uh, help me get past that laziness concept, realizing there's actually my neurochemistry behind these actions I was taking. I have clients who will say, and maybe you do too, have clients who say, I don't want to be labeled. But my worry about the absence of a label is then you just think, well, I guess I'm lazy, or I guess I've tricked everybody. And I'm not as smart as I think, and that sometimes the label can actually help you to have a more accurate understanding of why, for example, you wait to the last minute. Would you agree with that? Did getting a label make things any better or easier for you, or um, easier or harder for you, or did they do some of each? Oh man, it was getting the label was the most relaxing thing I've ever. I was like, ah, you know. And I've had so many clients who, once they get you know that diagnosis, they just kind of are like, oh, thank God, you know, now it makes sense. And I've heard so much I've heard so much about um, clients or, or people just say I don't want to be labeled um, I you know I don't want to be different and they're holding themselves back much of the time because of that because they're not getting access to the supports the funding the strategies like when they have a problem they're not googling something like say ADHD and note-taking they're just looking up note-taking and 
so if they were able to attach it to like, oh, it's connected to ADD or, oh, I need a bipolar related approach or whatever it is, that they're just finding an approach that's actually not match properly with their brain typology. It's the same as essentially finding a software for a PC computer when you're a Mac and you're not acknowledging that you're a Mac. That's an excellent analogy. Um, and as a Mac person, I can relate to that. Um, that idea that it is okay to be different and to acknowledge those. What I often say to clients is that if you do get a label, it doesn't mean anything new is wrong with you. This is something that you have already been aware of in your life. It's just that now you have a different name for it. So instead of calling yourself lazy, maybe you could start saying to yourself, you know, I've really been discouraged because um, it's hard for me to do anything right until the last minute. I need that boost of adrenaline in order to help me do that. Exactly. So it seems like in your case, that really brought down shame. Again, though, if you don't mind just going back for a minute before before you knew that, if you think back to grade school or high school, was this stuff already impacting you then? Was it was it evident from early in your life or did it show up? say post puberty I think it's it definitely in my whole life it's been around now because I'm a female I mean it's very commonly un uh, like really underdiagnosed in females ADHD and Asperger's um, even though they say it's overdiagnosed or whatever ADHD but that's mostly in young boys with late birthdays but in the rest of the population it's predominantly underdiagnosed ADHD and, and Asperger's um, so for me yeah when I was a kid when if you ask my parents they're like what memories do you have of Alina when she was a child they're like devil child it's like really, really? what what else? Anything positive? Like, no, you broke everything, you ran around, you bothered everyone. Mm-hmm, yeah, that makes sense. But then eventually, like, I think through puberty, that it really all calmed down into more of an inattentive thing, which is what often happens with ADD. Most kids start out more hyperactive, then they move towards being more um, inattentive. So moving from, like, the moving and bothering people and, like, impulsivity to slightly more forgetting things and not focusing and daydreaming longer and the social problems start coming along. Um, yeah, so that was coming up a lot. My parents were like, why isn't she making friends? You know, what's wrong here? Um, and my, they didn't know either. <laughs> no, they didn't know. I know my, my dad was very smart because at 13, he gave me the books How to Win Friends and Influence People and paid me 50 bucks to read it. That was a very good move on his part. But that was all the guidance I had in terms of developing social skills or skills I didn't actually know sure. how to do. But there's yeah. your first therapeutic intervention, right? right. Someone <laughs> offering you books and bribing you to do it or offering so a, a yep. good motivation to do it. Um did that impact your your self-esteem or your self-confidence as a kid to, to be feeling like the devil child or the one who has a hard time making friends or definitely I, I I just never really understood the pattern of it I was usually being taken advantage of by other friends or by the kids or usually kind of having this one friend that finally understood me and then having them kind of leave for another friend being so confused by the Aww. dynamics of all that um, and also a weird thing is that when as I got older I actually found that I get along best with males and a lot of that comes from the Asperger's. A lot of females with Asperger's tend to get along better with more males. It's like more of a mildly similar brain typology. And so it was kind of not until then when I finally understood social skills a lot better, when I started becoming friends with more guys and we could talk about things more, um, like less things that I couldn't relate to as much like human dynamics. At first, I wasn't really understanding a lot of females like to talk about more relationships. And I didn't understand them back then. So then I was able to talk to males about more scientifically kind of understanding the world that way. Uh, so that was really a very helpful development. Do you think that not knowing um, or not having labels, so to speak, do you feel like that held you back in any way? Yeah, because when I was when I would struggle for things, I'd be like, oh, like what's going wrong here? And you, most people that you ask who have ADD or Asperger's, you go, why, why did you 
do that wrong? Or why did that happen to you? And a lot of them, they'll say, I don't, I don't know. Really, I mean, they could give you another excuse. They could become a huge liar. They do a lot of things. Like, mm. it's, it's something very easy to do. You just start making up stories because you don't understand. Right. But as soon as you got have that explanation, people, why were you late? It's like, oh, well, something that comes with ADD is something called time blindness. And I'm sorry I didn't have my four alarm clock set because my phone just died today. So that's why I'm late. And I'll do better next time by charging my phone all the time or something. Yes. Um, it, it makes the world make sense. At first, I even was like, well, what's the point of diagnosis? It's not like it'll really do anything. That was so totally wrong on my part because <laughs> it's done so much to, for me and my understanding. And um, But yeah, and a tricky process. So for you, there was no there was no shame about um, using those things as you figured it out? Like, it sounds like pretty quickly the diagnosis brought you relief. It sounds like you accepted it pretty fast. There was no adjustment period for you or no shame around that? I, I would say that the trickiest parts when the shame can come up are often almost even from the teachers or like little things that come like I'm very confident in, in knowing what I need to level the playing field at this point and I help so many kids uh, or like students advocate for their needs at work as well as at university and, and school um, but the biggest thing that you'll run into is actually the teachers themselves um, trying to doubt you so advice that I have to give on that topic is you know instead of saying oh because of my ADHD I couldn't finish this on time or can I get an extension because of this or can I get more um, word allowance or something like that the teacher may not know very much about ADD or they might have it you know or as only an attentive ADD or some sort of stereotype oh I know that like they might know one person who doesn't have problem with that so they think you're making an excuse <laughs> if you have ADD I've, I've run into that a lot so Absolutely. I would really suggest work with the, the Center for Students with Disabilities um, in your in your university um, and then be very vague with your teachers just say because of my disability you know I'm going to need this help can you help me right. there's a lot less shaming that they can can do and if you feel really confident in your position um, and don't even allow that process to happen it, it tends to work a bit better and it sounds kind of a little funny like that but but everybody's so unique there's so much room for human error and you don't want to pay for that in your time and stress it takes to, to get your assignments done and get things in you make such a great point there I, I have clients who didn't realize that they don't have to disclose the exact nature of their disability to their profs for example and um, and had said to me like well like is that hiding it or and I don't think it's hiding it I think if you could confidently say to someone I have ADD and for me this means da 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 and have them accept that that would be great or um, I have anorexia and for me that means da 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 but the thing is that because of the myths and the stereotypes that are out there, as soon as you say, I have ADD, I have an addiction, I have anorexia, I have bipolar, people jump to these conclusions, which may color mm -hmm. their whole perception of whatever you're going to say next. So actually, I I agree with you. I encourage people to just say, you know, I have health issues or I have a disability if they're registered with the Center uh, for Students with Disability here on campus or at their campus, um, to just say, because of that, here are the, the um, accommodations that I'm going to need. Can you help me out with that? And then you don't have to worry about being judged by someone who maybe poorly understands uh, what exactly. that illness entails. Yes, yes. Um, I like the health issues idea, too, because sometimes people think, oh, if it's a disability, they might almost associate it with something like mental disability. And health issues, people are more likely to associate to more like of a physiological issue. And there's so much more respect for physiological issues and wanting to help. And there's so little respect 
respect for mental health issues and wanting to help with those or really wanting to understand what you need. It's much, there's much more stereotypes. So really that being very careful with, with what you're allowing, like w- how you're allowing people to treat you and what you're, where you're even creating the possibility that they may mistreat you. Yes. Until we get to a place where we have created a culture where people really understand, I do think, I mean, I understand it's a fine line between hiding something because you're ashamed of it versus um, maybe um, not sharing that because it will lead to unfair judgments. But until we get to a place where people have a better understanding, I often encourage people to err on the side of that. And you made the analogy to a a broken foot. And um, a client once said to me, um, you know, I almost wish I had a broken arm and it was in a cast and it was my writing hand because then they could see why I can't take the exam. There's a comedian whose name escapes me right now. I'll put it on my website for those of you who are listening. I'll find it and and put it up. But she says, um, you know, there is no x-ray that shows anxiety. There is no blood test that shows ADD, right? Like, so we can't take that and prove that to people and say, look, I'm really sick. I'm not faking it. I'm not using this to get out of my assignment. I'm not using this to get out of doing my chores at home. There really is something wrong, right? right? There really is something that is impacting me. Um, And I thought that was so well put. And it's a shame that we feel we need something to show people, to convince them. And that's one of the stigmas, right? That sometimes if you have a a mental health issue, you're going to milk it, Mm. Um, you know, that you're taking advantage. You're going to try and get away with whatever you can. And until that goes away, I can see why maybe you would have wanted to be cautious. Definitely. And I could really relate to that. You're that client who wanted a broken arm. I remember as I was growing up, I always kind of hoped that I would lose something like an arm or, or get sick in a way that was just obvious to people. So then I could just kind of move my own pace, not have a lot of stress, not have anyone expecting anything from me anymore. So then I could actually work and be productive in my own way and, and, and indulge my creativity and indulge the, the things I'm really good at. So I could totally relate to that. You know, on one hand, I want to laugh with you in part because you have such an endearing and engaging way of talking about this. But on the other hand, I just had a picture of you at 10 years old in my head and how sad that is that you might actually wish, you know, to lose an arm or something because that's what it would take for you to be able to be in the world like at your own pace and in a way that's comfortable for you. And we have become such a conformist culture. Like everybody should be able to do it this way. Everyone in the classroom should have to learn like this. Everyone who, you know, all girls should look like this. Um, only boys get ADHD, like all of those things. And it just makes me sad to hear that you had to experience that. And simultaneously, so impressed that here you are, you know, and and that that stuff didn't hold you back. That stuff didn't uh, keep you from being successful. Talk about that. You said at the beginning about how some of this is like stuff you wouldn't give up at all. What are some of the good things that have come from the ADD or the Asperger's qualities in you? Is that what you would call them? Yeah, definitely. Um both of them do bring different things. I mean, it's when one person has both ADHD and Asperger's, they are kind of all intermingle. But from my understanding of it and studying it for many years, I'd say my ADHD brings me my immense creativity, energy, um, almost like social excitement that looking always looking for something new and innovating growing all the time um, whereas the Asperger's brings this like extreme focus um, this like extreme specialized interest and focus where for me like if anyone talks to me about anything other than psychology for too long I start to get really like why are, why are we doing that come back to my happy place right um, and I mean that <laughs> can be problematic but if you make that your job and everyone's actually interested in that topic oh my god it's the coolest thing ever I'm quite a riot at parties now because of all the stuff I know especially 
leading sure. a sex therapist. It's hilarious. Sure. Anyway, but so that definitely with the Asperger's and also just it's given me so much understanding of other people when they're running into into problems or not being understood or like for me, it's so much easier. It's I can just make people into algorithms like actions activities the asperger's in me technic like makes everything into almost like technology like circuits so when something doesn't work i can feed it back quite easily anyway I, it seems like that's quite an asperger asperger's trait of mine which i'm so happy to have sure how did your family take the news alina like huh? and by which i mean like the family you grew up in right um i laughed a little bit because my family comes from ukraine and and uh we're very old country you know the you know i, I was actually born in ukraine as well and so when and when it came up, like my family, well, my mom was like, oh, my God, I've done everything wrong. I parented you badly. And she was just really feeling very guilty, um, but also a little mad <laughs> about things. And then my dad was like, no, none of this exists. Like, stop being a baby. Get over it. And, uh, you know, a lot of it also comes from in my family. There are some diagnoses and some some conditions, mental health conditions that haven't really been uh, really looked at and, and focused on. And only finally now over the last couple of years are getting some attention. So it's been getting easier and easier. Um, like my family now gets it a lot more, but I've had to do a lot of standing up for myself and being called selfish when I ask for my needs or tell them that I can't be talked to like this, like that it was pretty disrespectful. Let's talk about how else to do things. It's been really hard, but now um, we really get along quite well and there's a lot of respect now. And, and the more I've created my boundaries or told them what I needed and respected myself, the more they started to respect themselves and their own boundaries. And, and so we're all kind of learning together. It's been quite a trip. That's awesome. I think that um, people sometimes feel very reluctant to share this information with family members, with friends, with you know someone new they're dating. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions about some um, ways to approach people so that they, they do know and they are maybe open to hearing? Good question. Um, let, let's say in the dating environment, because that was something I had a, got a big kick out of. Um, I wouldn't suggest this for everyone, but uh, for me, when I was dating, I would actually almost say it in the, like the first or second date. But I explained in like the best possible way. So I might be like, well, just so you know, if we wander off topic and get off of something, analyzing people, I might get bored. I'll probably ask you something to make you vulnerable to entertain me. And then we'll go back to like bring up my dopamine so I can focus and that this is how I talk. And then kind of saying that, you know, this is my career and I love it so much. And it's my obsession. It's like everything I like doing. And how will you be talking about that 90% of the time? <laughs> you know, so I really kind of brought these things up in kind of a quirky, friendly, like, this is how I am. Um, it, any of this appealing um, and that worked for me great that, but I have very commonly dated people with Asperger's and, and ADHD myself um, so that's I mean in, I don't know what other people should do but I'd probably like I just wouldn't be with anyone who couldn't understand and accept it really well um, and who would judge me? I mean, I just I don't have the patience to work through that anymore. Do you? Um, did you ever get any bad responses? Did you ever get anybody say, you know, I think this is a deal breaker for me? Sorry. No, definitely not. I, I have had a lot of people go, oh my god, that's so cool, especially around the Aspergers, because they're like, oh, how's it in a girl? Like, what's that like? Just positive responses. I can't even think of any negative ones. And if any, I've only gotten people who are like, what is that? And then we spent a good half an hour where I then explain the exact biology, neurology of it, which was really helpful. And at the end, they're like, oh, that's so cool. And then usually they're like, oh, maybe I have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would suggest to people get to know the physiology of your disorder. Figure out what is the difference in brain chemistry. What is the difference in like how you react to things? Like what is scientifically validated? How is your brain different? That is a really nice way to explain to others where they see that oh, like your brain is just very creatively different. You're using a Mac, sure. and that this is the instruction manual. <laughs> Alina, I could talk to you about this really honestly for another hour or so, but we're coming up to the end of our time, and um, so maybe I'll have to have you back on again. 
But as you're saying this, I'm thinking, well, for people who would like to learn more, I think one way they could do that um, is through the groups that you offer. Could you talk a little bit about what those are and how someone would access them? Sure. Uh, we run two groups. I started running them um, about four years ago or so. Um, one is the support group for adults with ADHD and that one and Asperger's as well. So all together in that group. And that one happens the first Thursday of every month um, from 6 to 7 p.m. So it's actually happening. Uh, so this month, the first Thursday of the month, next month, first Thursday of the month. Um, then there's a weekly group, which is ADHD. Uh, so cognitive behavioral therapy for ADHD and Asperger's. And that's for adults as well. So 16 plus, And that happens every single Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. And that's more of a hands-on, like we're going to do a lot of activities, teach you a lot of, about the research, teach you new, new ways to do things, anger management, money management, whatever. Um, yeah, so I've been running those for a while just to get more resources out that are more affordable than sometimes one-on-one co- uh, coaching or counseling can sometimes be a bit more prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this gives a couple options. But you do offer that as well. If somebody is uh, interested in going in that route, the reason though I did want to mention your groups is that I do think sometimes it helps to reduce the shame to be in a room with Definitely. other people and be like, wow, she's really cool. Or, you know, he seems like somebody I'd like to have coffee with. And they struggle with the same thing. Like, so you start seeing it in somebody else rather right. than just yourself. And when you see somebody else doing something, you're much less likely to be like, oh my God, they're a horrible person because of it. Whereas, and that helps you then forgive yourself for doing some Similar things. You're like, oh, well, they did that and they're still a good person, so maybe I'm not so awful. So for me, even with clients I see one on one, I very much recommend them to come to groups too to get that shame addressed by seeing it in other contexts. Terrific. Well, I'm going to put um, a link to your program and to your site, which I believe is ADHDinterrupted.com. Right. Yeah, right. We have a very active Facebook group at the same uh, ADHD Interrupted. Perfect. And so those will be available uh, on my site if anybody is interested, along with links to your uh, groups. Um, the radio program is called Strange Brains. It runs on Thursdays at 4 o'clock here on CFRU at the University of Guelph. That's 93.3 um, in this area, but uh, you can also catch it online or in podcasts and um, really just a fabulous show. I have listened to it many times. I recommend Aww. it to clients of mine. No, really, it's the material you put out is fabulous. And I think what you're doing is a great service and what an amazing way to have taken something which could have held you back in your life and turned it into something where like you're making a major contribution. Oh, thank you. What a lovely perspective. It's, it's really true. Thank you, Alina, so much for being willing to do this. My pleasure. So that was my interview with Alina Kislenko. She is an ADHD and Asperger's couples and sex therapist. Um, So quite a number of things that she does there. Also host of a fabulous radio show called Strange Brains. I recommend you give it a listen if you're interested in the topics of ADHD or Asperger's, either for yourself or somebody else who uh, you know who may um, either struggle with those things or, as in Alina's case, not struggle with them, but just have them. Uh, as something that impacts their life. So that's my show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Open Minds. I'd like to thank my editor, Craig, without whom these shows wouldn't be possible. If you've missed any part of this, or if you want to listen again or share with someone else, please visit my website at whatseatingyou.com. That's all one word, whatseatingyou.com, and click on the podcast link where you can find this and all previous shows. You can also find the show on the archives page at cfru.ca, or you can subscribe to Open Minds on iTunes and be notified whenever a new show is available. I would really love to hear what you liked or didn't like about today's show and welcome suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover in the future. Please send those to my email, which is 
openminds at cfru.ca. That's openminds with an S at cfru.ca. Please know, though, that I may not be able to respond to all emails personally, and that I definitely cannot respond to those asking for help or advice with a specific mental health problem. For those, I strongly encourage you to put aside your fear of stigma and see your doctor, try a therapist, visit the local emergency room, or call your nearest crisis hotline. And if you're concerned for someone around you, please try not to judge and instead encourage them to seek out the treatment they deserve. Remember, if you wouldn't hesitate to visit the dentist when your teeth are causing you pain, then you needn't hesitate to seek treatment when it's your brain that's causing you pain. I'm Candy McNeil. Please join me again next week here on Open Minds. Mm-hmm.